0: And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson.
1: Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And our guest today is my favorite YouTuber anywhere on the world of YouTube. I'm embarrassing her, I can see.
0: No, she's smiling. Uh, <laughs>
1: she's smiling anyway. She's Tatiana Hopper. She's located outside Dublin right now and uh, Ireland, of course. And uh, I asked her to be on. I have um, I discovered her YouTube channel, it, which is called T Hopper. And you need to visit it like as soon as you get done listening to this and uh, check out her work. Uh, I discovered it in... Probably the fall of 2022, so not too long ago. And um, she does some very interesting work. It's, um, let me tell you this, a lot of YouTube is shallow, especially in the photography world. Um, Usually it's all about cameras, you know. I use the X100B for street photography, and here's how to do it or camera reviews that's great for clickbait but her channel is very very deep and interesting which we're going to talk about and anyway sorry Tatiana I'm rambling so long welcome thanks for being with us
2: oh well thank you for inviting me Bob I really appreciate it and I'm ready to you know chat about photography and all things interesting in photography and I wanted to first and foremost also, um, say thank you for your kind words about the channel, about my work. I really appreciate that. And uh, well, you know, it's, I'm glad to know that, um, you know, there is an appreciation for the sort of deeper side of photography. So, yeah, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me.
1: I think there is. And, you know, well, you're very welcome. So I'm glad you were able to take the time to do this because when you see your video work, See, she's got to be quite busy. Making mm-hmm. videos is a lot of work, even short ones, and maybe it's even more work. I guess you can you can tell us that. But um, um I'll have you explain more about your about your YouTube channel. I mean, I can tell you my take on it, but I've, I've For sure, discovering I've thing. only scratched the surface. <laughs> um, Tatiana, you, you have one of my favorite attributes mm-hmm. of a fellow human being is you are extremely curious and i think i think being a curious person is is one of the best things that can happen to you absolutely and uh, your channel shows that because um i know when she's interested in something she makes a video about it mm-hmm. and uh but you know why, why don't you tell us a little bit about about your uh, what you do in the terms of photography on YouTube.
2: Okay, so, well, my channel started, um, I'd say I started two years back in 2020. So, you know, pandemic. Um, And I kind of decided to make a channel where um, I would talk about things that obviously would interest me, but things that, you know, in one way or another, my mission was to make videos where people would leave and they would leave with something more than they came to. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They would leave with perhaps an idea, perhaps an, a degree of inspiration that would lead them to, you know, I want to do this, I want to push myself, I want to do this with my work, I want to study this photographer, or sometimes, you know, just give kind of like leads to things that, you know, might help people discovering their style, might help develop You know, because I feel like there's this idea that, you know, this misconception, I would say that, you know, you need this, all this equipment and you need the best equipment in order to produce the best, to be the best photographer. And obviously I'm not denying that there is a role for gear when we talk about photography as a tool, just like, you know, a painter uses paintbrushes, a writer, you know, will use his own tools or her own tools. So... For me, I think it's more, you know, looking at gear like that and then focusing on developing, you know, our photographic eye, our skill, whatever you want to call. And so my videos revolve around that. Um, I like to kind of like talk about photo books and go into, you know, taking lessons from the biggest, the greatest photographers, like say the greatest masters, but also people that we don't necessarily know. Um, I've had a couple of shows on the channel which you might be familiar, which was, you know, about actors or musicians that mm-hmm. turn photographers, that it's people that we never would would have thought like, you know, I, I discovered that Jessica Lang was a photographer or is a photographer still, and I was like, Oh, my God, like, I want to explore her work and that curiosity of, you know, learning from the greatest, but also learning from people that you wouldn't necessarily talk about in terms of photography or people that are not even, you know probably like overshadowed a bit or probably like, mm-hmm. you know, just need a bit of more like, you know, someone to cast a light on their work. And I think that's what I do with my channel. It, and also, of course, I share my work and my traveling and what I do. And, but I generally in those videos, I don't discuss the type of lenses that I've been using. I discuss more like, what does that work mean to me? Um, how does it fit? Where do I feel like my work is going? So it's a very personal take um, on photography. I put it this way.
1: Um, yeah it's obviously the things you're curious about and then you share that curiosity and what you learned
2: absolutely absolutely
1: i've um i tell you i i mean some of my my favorite videos of yours I'll tell you, one i really like you just did it uh on a on a, a guy i never heard of sergio and i can't
2: sergio lorraine Um,
1: Lorraine, yeah, Sergio Lorraine. Yeah, see, I'm
2: pronouncing it, but I'm pronouncing the Anglicized way. I'm pronouncing the English way because I know it's Sergio Lorraine or something like that. And I was trying to to be really hard in a video to pronounce it, how, you know, it would be, but I just couldn't. I kept like messing it up. So I was like, I'm just going to (laughs) keep it with the English. Um, But no, but he has an amazing, amazing body of work. Actually, different bodies of work. Um, He, and he's such an interesting individual Um, and I discussed this in the video, um, and it brings to the table what it means to be a successful photographer. Um, you know what I mean? Because at, at his peak quote unquote of his career, he was doomed. Like he was considered a a successful photographer and then he just left, he abandoned it. So for me that brought, it's an extremely interesting example to study and to, to bring into, you know, like in a world where everyone wants likes and followers and thinks that that's what it means to be successful it really isn't you know like it really isn't like what does it mean to be successful um you know so that that video in particular really really touched me i think when i did it i was like yeah i just you know and that quote that he has about being in a sort of state of grace when he's photographing in the streets i think it's incredible it's incredible
0: and
1: yeah that's uh Obviously, this is street photography magazine, so I think any street photographer needs to learn more about him and he was a magnum photographer too mm. and uh so we'll, you know well obviously i want to put a link to your to your channel, but I might put a separate link to his uh his video in particular but i I thought that was fascinating, and you discovered him and and I, your videos are like not long they're like 15 minutes
2: yeah 10 15 minutes, minutes or so. yeah yeah, yeah.
1: short you see you give a really good overview of the person nice examples of their work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh so yeah definitely he's he's one to check out and then of course you have the obvious ones you've got uh Cartier bresson a mm-hmm. couple of you did one on a new on one of uh, a book about him or a book about his work yeah and you said it was affordable I've got, I, very
2: affordable it's called the europeans yeah. and i actually mm-hmm. bought it for like 15 euros so like it would be probably the really? equivalent of like i'd say maybe in america it could be and in, in, could be probably like 20 or something i bought it used but it was in you have all these like um retailers that like mm-hmm. um they can buy photo books like for like you know, used but in great condition, and I think why are people not like going into this? Because it's honestly, yes. it's about 200 pages of photos, and you learn so much. And uh, talking about actually, Carri Busson. Um, literally, now I was um, editing a video on Martin Frank, who is or well, was his wife, um, who was also a great photographer. That is not, and she was kind of like, um, I wouldn't say street photographer. I would say more like documentary. She did mm-hmm. a lot of work around the Théâtre du Soleil because it was a it's basically like a theater company and she was a great photographer in her own, in her own like right and because I think of who she was married to I think her name was kind of like always associated to his work mm-hmm. and so you know and I think like it's going to be a very interesting video because it's going to bring forward someone who you know it had so much talent and it was kind of like you know probably put in the shadows of her husband and so very very interesting story as well her story so yeah gonna explore that soon
1: (laughs) i know i i thought i had been through most of your library but i just realized as i was prepping for for our show i've just scratched the surface Mm. i think it's the way youtube displays
2: Yeah. I think the way the YouTube nowadays you see, because, <clears throat> and I know this cause I'm, I'm subscribed to channels and I have all notifications on and sometimes I'm like, Oh, that person posted and I'm, I didn't, I wasn't notified. I think it's more based mm-hmm. on recommendations and like, you know, mm-hmm. they recommend your content so they push one video up and I can see that with some of my videos that go crazy in amount of views cause my channel is not a big channel. Do you know what I mean? But. Like some videos will do extremely well because they're pushed on. But then like, you know, it's just, I think YouTube kind of like tries to curate a sort of feed for you rather than like, you know, you know, just kind of, I'd say, and, and in curating that feed for people, I'd say, you know, they just push on one video from one person, the other person. that's why you have sometimes channels that, you know, what video can have like, Ten thousand views, and the other video can have like twenty views Do you know yes it's it's such a you know crazy way, but you know it's the way it's the way no, it is organized
1: it's funny because, yeah, when I look at mine um well, i i like to i like to play pickleball, mm-hmm. so I have all these pickleball videos mixed in with photography videos and <laughs> gear reviews and travel stuff you oh, know. We gosh. Were just, uh, Portugal, and we had, you know, mm-hmm. so it's all mixed in together, mm-hmm. and it makes it a little hard to to really see what you really want to see at yeah, any exactly. particular time. Yeah.
2: I mean, I'm obviously subscribed to other channels, not necessarily photography channels, there's sure. channels that I watch that are not related, and I just, whenever I open YouTube, it's just a mix and match, like it's yeah. like so crazy, um, but I don't know, I mean, it's their way, I think YouTube has been obviously changing and changing over the years. So, you know, I'm glad that st- that, you know, there is opportunity out there for people like me to have a platform where they can talk about things not necessarily like driving for clicks or necessarily like yeah. just the the surface of photography, but like other things. And I'm sure there's many other channels out there that do different things and, you know, and it's great. I think it's great. Yeah.
1: I mean, I just I found yours by accident. I mm. I forget what I was searching for. And then one of your videos came up. I go, "Oh, that looks interesting." Mm -hmm. Might have been Lisette Model or something. Oh yeah, one of the earlier ones I watched.
2: Yeah, I love I love her work. She's very very good, and it's so timely because Lisette Model. I worked on that video, and then a couple of months after that, I went to Nice myself just on Mm -hmm. holiday, and I -hmm. just kind of thought it was so timely that I had worked and I had seen pictures photographed in the same place that I was now photographing. And just yeah. seeing her work, and, and I used to go, I used to walk up and down the avenue and just think of, like, the scenes that she, I don't know, it's obviously kind of like, you know, you can't really, t- like, imagine everything because she's photographed so long ago. But I think it's just so, such an interesting thing when you know the place and you get to see it now, many years later, you get to mm-hmm. photograph the same kind of, like, environment. So it's very interesting for me. Was that yeah, same
1: same light she worked in
2: mm mm-hmm.
1: and uh yeah yeah that's uh something i that's funny uh completely off sort of topic but it, <laughs> we we went to, we were in Portugal back in september mm. and you know visited all the sites around Lisbon and we went to belem where they have the uh the magellan speak magellan monument mm hmm uh if you've ever seen it it's um but uh you know of course i made a few photos around there in my own little way and then my wife had gone there in high school this was in 1970 wow and uh yeah i'm old what can i say <laughs> and uh i was looking through some old photos i have boxes of photos i was trying to sort them out i was trying to find some uh, particular one. And I, and there I find a stack of hers from her sp- Spain and Portugal trip. And there's a photo of that same monument. That's she doesn't easy. remember taking it. I I grabbed it and took it to her. And uh, so obviously I'm going to scan it. But, mm-hmm. uh, and they're all the same place where we were just a few weeks ago.
2: Mm-hmm. There you go. See?
1: But you know what? That has nothing to do with you.
2: No, <laughs> but work. like, actually, it reminded me of something that I wanted to talk to you about because uh, I think it uh, might be okay. very interesting for you. Yeah. So I am working on a series to bring to the channel and it's all about street photography. Oh, um, good. And I am learning so much as I go along and I have kind of like done sort of like my research so far. I've I've gotten a few books and uh, it's really interesting because I want to touch on the history of street photography on like Mm -hmm. the evolution of street photography, because it's such a thing that, you know, nowadays we do it without thinking of like, you know, how it kind of like the history of it all, like how it started. And so I'm coming across so many photographers that I, for once, I probably might have known their name, but not necessarily be acquainted or perhaps understood their importance in the history of photography and in the history, particular history of street photography. So I think it's an amazing thing, and hopefully, I'll be finishing in the next month. And I think you like that one oh. because you and oh, obviously cool. people listening, because I think it'd be a an interesting dive into uh, street photography and some of the names that helped form what we today call street photography. So,
1: oh, that I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely share it out to the community when uh, when you're done with it.
2: For sure, for sure. I'll give you uh, a shot when I um, finish it, but uh, definitely a show that I want to put a lot more effort into visuals and like into, you know what I mean, like um, going a bit beyond on that. I want to definitely um, do that.
1: Yeah, you can, you can get lost in the weeds with that too. <laughs> just, I can. There's so many people and, and you've, you've already done, um, you've already done videos on a lot of the people who laid the groundwork. Yes, that's you know, right. They wouldn't be considered street photographers, but... Uh.
2: That's right.
1: I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. One of my favorites was uh, Robert Frank, of course.
2: Oh, yeah. no, He <laughs> is. And it's very interesting that... Uh, I actually thought the other day, um, I was going through The Americans again, um, Mm -hmm. and I was going and looking at the pictures of Robert Frank, and I kind of had had read when I made the video about Sergio Lorraine that we talked about before, and I bought this book by Sergio Lorraine, I think it's it's called, um, it's titled London, 1959, and Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure, um, obviously I haven't done my research yet, but I think I know it was probably put together, um, you know, after his career kind of like ended or he decided to end his career. So it's just a collection. That's why it's titled London 1959, because I think he just photographed the city in that specific year. And I could kind of like draw parallels between the both books. So I definitely want to do something around like that, where I can talk about the Americans again, because it's such an interesting book. And Mm -hmm. I think that video, I I made a video called... um, Timeless photography lessons by Robert Frank, where I talked about the Americans and people used to talk to me about the Americans and it being so you know folk it being so important and I understood the importance but once once I went back and I studied the point in history where Robert Frank made that book, I understood then mm-hmm. the more the, the magnitude of that book, and he didn't do any other book again i I, I actually um Um, watched a little documentary, a little kind of like YouTube document. I'm not sure if it was like an actual production, but it was just like someone that put it together and talked about the fact that it's kind of like he just dropped his Magnus Opus and then he just left. And he left us with this brilliant, like, you know, absolutely influential, um, I'd say, you know, body of work. Because he was the one that actually... Um, And now that I'm working on the street photography history, I can understand that he's kind of like the missing link between what we would see nowadays as more like a a modern uh, street photography Mm -hmm. and the street Mm -hmm. photography that we had, um, there was more rigid or more kind of like, you know, from the French, from like the French Mm -hmm. classics. That was not so, you know, gritty and dirty in a way, or more like simple in a way than you know the french kind of like had so it's kind of like a missing link between these two worlds i'd say him and probably william klein in the beginning of his career when he was doing street photography as well um i'd say he they probably laid the groundwork of a more like you know approachable kind of like um flexible i'd say street photography i'm not sure but that's what i can see from now so hopefully i'll learn more
1: yeah. That's how you learn. I guess the interesting comparison. Absolutely, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah, it's funny. I um, I watched several of your videos, and then I didn't watch for a couple of weeks, and I come back, and you had dropped like three or four <laughs> new videos. I go, oh my god, do you ever sleep? Yeah, no, I I do try
2: and and yep. release more videos, um, because there's just so many things that. I now find the time, I have the time to, to, and we talked about this before the interview, I do now can dedicate myself more to this side of, you know, like my life, YouTube and, you know, my art and my photography. So for me, I just, you know, I don't mind like not having working hours or going beyond because I'm just working on to me, like what I love and my curiosity and and exposing people to like different visions of over photography, like, you know, like we've discussed before with Sergio Lorraine or other photographers was that model, who, you know, kept kept saying shoot from your gut and stuff like that. So
1: So do you ever get just burned out? Just, I can't do this anymore right now? I'm gonna go um, take a trip or just I kind go of see a movie. <laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: no, I do. I do that. Um, I do that. And and obviously, I do have to spend time with my family. So I do, I think my breaks usually come from that, spending time Mm -hmm. with loved ones or, you know, calling my parents or whatever, like, or reading, for instance. Um, But yeah, generally speaking, I do give myself like some, I kind of like, you know, like to utilize my time a lot. So I give myself a break. And when I give myself a break, I usually do something useful with it, you know, with loved ones mm. or something like that, or going out and photographing myself, of course, traveling and whatnot.
1: Yeah, speaking of, uh, speaking of self-portraits, mm. um, but yeah, I really like your self-portrait gallery on your website. I, I'm curious about something, because a lot of them, there's a mirror. And you're out in a field somewhere, but there just happens to be a mirror there. Do you bring a mirror with you <laughs> and set it no. down? Out in the- or do um, you just happen to stumble on these things?
2: <laughs> yeah, I kind of stumbled upon that. Actually, that was uh, taken on my parents' property. And mm. uh, they just happened to have this old mirror laying around. And I'm like, oh, oh. Uh, I just remember like asking my mom if I could use it. And she was like, yeah, sure. But she's kind of used to my unusual requests for doing things. So she goes like, yeah, mm-hmm. whatever, do, she's probably going to do something. She thought, and then I went and took it to the middle of the field and I just started taking self portraits. I don't know. <laughs> that was the, that's the story cool. of that. That's the story.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. Self portraiture yeah. is uh, an interesting topic all, all on its own. I, um, I took, um, a uh, photographing uh, photographing people with intention course from Harvey Stein through ICP in New York. It was during the pandemic, so they did it over over Zoom. And our last assignment was self-portraiture, and I just this was not comfortable doing it. And so many of my mm-hmm. fellow students, they were taking these amazing photos of themselves, dressed and not dressed, and and uh uh which i couldn't (laughs) i couldn't do that but it was a real learning experience and i and i still continue it today as a result of that and it's Mm -hmm. and you did a whole you did a video on self-portraiture which i haven't seen yes
2: i did yeah um i think it was one of the things that really helped me um i think i used it more like a diary you see more like i can Mm -hmm. literally And I talked in the video about this interesting concept that it is my most public and most private diary at the same time, because it is out there for people to see, but people don't know what I was actually going through that moment. What what motivated me to take that, you know, portrait of myself, Mm -hmm. like, and that's where I think it stemmed kind of like the idea of continue and I still continue doing it and I have actually have a few more to put on the website um to kind of like add to the collection but I keep doing it and you know I think it's interesting to kind of like also chronicle my uh like my aging process as well like one day I'll probably hopefully look at them like oh my god I was such a you know, beautiful young lady. (laughs) uh, No, but now going back to topic. um, No, yeah, I I think it's an interesting like exercise. And I feel like that video, a lot of people came forward and uh, talked about the fact that they struggled a lot with self-image. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think in itself, like growing um, presupposes of a, a a type of a degree of self-acceptance. You accept yourself Mm. for who you are, your flaws, what you look like, you know, because you have have more hair or less hair or, you know, you're funny somehow. Or I think it's just like one of those things that when people kind of like talked about that, it was a dimension that I had, of course, and I I initially as well started out to chronicle my journey through certain, you know, problems or obstacles I had in my life and it was just so interesting to see people's like connection to it you know that video and people opening up and saying i will try that as a form probably of healing or probably of self acceptance and i think that's you know where i say my work's done i think because like that's what i want i don't want to make videos that people can watch it and think Oh, yeah, there was some gal here on the internet reviewing some lens and I kind of forgot. So, you know, I'm just going to Google the lens again and go on to another video. Yeah. I want people to that. be like, oh, I remember that video because I remember that video made me feel something or made me take away something from it. Mm-hmm. And I know that person and that's it, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That. So, yeah. I agree. I agree. Speaking of that subject, you just you just released a video about uh, yeah learning to see with a camera a mm-hmm. different approach. and uh, you you said in there, I think you did that on a trip, right? Yeah, hungry, yeah, and you said you have to become let's see, you said, don't be too comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't be too comfortable. Um, and almost like seek discomfort in a way. And I thought that was a very important lesson. But I think, how do you do that? You Mm. know, because we naturally shy away from being uncomfortable. You know, we always want things to be comfortable, either mentally or physically. Yeah. What did you mean by that?
2: Well, I think that, you know, really um, the biggest lessons I've taken in life was always when I was uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. like, I think, you know, there's no risks. You run no risks or a very minimal risk. If you, you spend your life going through the same steps or going through, like, kind of like not bringing in the unknown. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. that's necessary, not necessarily because, you know, I think we should all go through pain, but I think more like, you know, pain is come with, with pain comes growth. And I think that growth is, uh, you know, as much as we tie photography with learning skills, visually and et cetera, it is also very tied to who we are as people. So, you know, if you put yourself out there, you put yourself through situations, I wouldn't necessarily say risk your life. Don't be that crazy, but like, Uh, you know, Go and say, do something that you wouldn't necessarily do. Um, take a trip that you wouldn't necessarily take. Um, put yourself out there. Like, I would have not necessarily gone, like say, for instance, thinking about that video. Um, I went to Hungary on that video and the tr- the challenging or the approach, a different approach was that I sought discomfort because I didn't know where I was going. I placed it all in my friend's hands and I said, right, um, you know, let's do it. Let's go. And we did. And- hmm as much as a like a crazy idea that it made it may sound I just found myself in a different country and I knew that my goal was to take photos I knew that my goal was to explore and I wouldn't say that for instance it would be a destination where I thought I would make my best work but at least the intent was there and I grew a lot with the things that I saw there um, with my intention of uh, keeping the intention of photographing And I think all these things I learned to evaluate like, you know, for instance, made me think I wouldn't necessarily go to Hungary. But then again, I went there and I kind of made me reevaluate that sometimes the places that I think it's not going to be worth it for me to visit as a photographer, like I'm wrong because there's value in everywhere. So there's always lessons and things to be obtained from places and people. Um, And if I had been too comfortable and not put myself through the situations and that I've been through with traveling, with like, say, turning on a corner that I wouldn't necessarily turn, I would mm-hmm. find unknown, situ- I will find unknown situations. And with that, I'm growing. That's what I think I'm coming from. Um, you know, the approach that I'm saying, I think it's important. I don't know. You tell I'm me.
1: I'm going to keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I noticed in that video. Well, first of all, I want to point out you primarily shoot film, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: right. And we, we didn't even get into that. But um I noticed I, I really like your color. Ah, mm. uh, it's very painterly, I guess, pastel. And but in that video, I noticed when you showed a photo, you had text on there of what camera used and what film and one that kept coming up was Lomo 800 Yeah, yeah. and I have some of that I bought it after I, I mentioned him to you earlier uh, Stu Edwards who's also a filmmaker and a photographer and he made a lot of photos with that film so I bought some and I just wondered do you do you use that film a lot, or what are your favorite films? Yeah, actually, or do you just use a mixture.
2: So I, um, I, I shoot black and white in color, but like yeah. say, you know, black and white to me, I'd say I'll start by that because it's very like you know, it's just a side note. Um, I'd say probably I shoot more with, um, HP5, so Ilford HP5. This is kind of mm-hmm. like a very versatile. And you can, you know, it's a very versatile film, so you can kind of like push the contrast or kind of like create a less contrast and, or Pancro 400, which is burgers. I think it's a French brand, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, So I like low contrasted scenes. And when it comes to color, I like kind of like that painterly, hazy kind of color palette. And mm-hmm. I've realized that there's certain film stocks that I have tried with, that for me personally, work better with certain weather conditions. So Lomo 800 is a film that is probably amongst my favorite film stocks. I shoot that a lot because it is kind of like a film that, you know, it renders things very muted, like, you know, like very muted, very like. It's like literally paintbrushes. I sometimes look at my f I'm not trying to say like, oh my God, cause sometimes the composition cannot, it's not even great or it's not even like, you know, but I like to look at the colors and I think, oh my God, this film is really, really, you know, and I'm not sponsored anything by Lomo, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> I think it, they really, their colors really suit like, um I'd say mm, maybe like autumn, Winter, kind of like, or maybe uh-huh. like cloudy days. And then for like extra summery days, um, and I have some prints. I actually have this print here. I'm going to show you quickly. This was done with Kodak Gold. Um, and it's kind of like a um, very, I'd say, I don't know, it's very warm. It's a very warm film. And so when you're shooting with scenarios of a lot of light, Kodak Mm -hmm. Gold, um, Portrait 400 is what I tend to use. But, you know, unfortunately, I think the prices have gone up a lot. So I I understand that a lot of people will be wary of buying film or will be um, discouraged in a way of buying film. I'm not necessarily complaining. I think, you know, it is, I think it is the way economy is going. It's not just film, like, getting, you know. That's true. It is Everything's getting, like less and less affordable. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, eggs.
2: <laughs> everything, I think. I think yeah. it's capitalism, you know, it presupposes of a of a continuous growth and in with a continuous growth, continuous revenue, you'll continuously, you know, adjust inflation and then with that, obviously you have like the rise in prices and of everything. But yeah. Those are my favorite films and here we are talking about economy. So sorry about that. <laughs> oh,
1: no, no, that's fine. Hey. Uh, Everything's fair game.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've got I've got several rolls of the of the loma. I've only shot one mm-hmm. roll, uh, and uh, man, when I got up back and looked at it, I had it scanned. And I thought, hmm, I don't know if that's for me or not, but um especially since it's wintertime, mm-hmm. probably a good time to go out and go mm. and use it. One thing more. you can do,
2: um and I actually, I personally like it. I I don't do it in camera, but I do it maybe sometimes in post-processing where you can push or pull your film, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, and you'll see on YouTube a lot of videos where people will push in camera, but sometimes you see like, because I'm not normally shooting and I'm not like, sometimes I'm not there half an hour with my light meter or whatever, like I just go and, and I calculate in my head and I'll just do the exposure. So if I feel like, you know, if I made notes and I think that the light in the scenario that I was shooting is probably worth to push the film or pull the film, I'll do that in developing when I'm developing the film. But other than that, like, and I think that really affects the colors as well, um, or more like, you know, the the kind of like the tonalities and the contrasts. Um, And so that could be something to have in mind if you like to achieve more like, this muted kind of like palette as well. But I only do that in developing. Um, You leave it probably for, you know, a couple more minutes in the tank when you're developing and stuff. I don't know if you develop your film, but I'm just saying. um,
1: I don't have the stuff anymore. So mm -hmm. we've got a great, uh, great camera store here that um, does a really nice job.
2: Oh, yeah. Locally, I actually have a lab um, near me and um they're brilliant they're brilliant and it was the only lab because i was in a rush with work and everything at the time and it was the only time i ever used like a lab in recent years so mm-hmm. and and yeah so you know um they're very very good and other than that i tend to kind of like do it on my own
1: and just color too you color, color too yeah
2: um wow. i've done i've done a few like i've done uh, color. I've done obviously in color. We we're talking about slides. I've done also like black and white slides. So color, uh, sorry, um, black and white. Uh, what would it be? What was the film that I was using? Uh, it was um, Fomapan oh. R. That was the film that I developed. And uh, you need to take the film halfway through. You need to take the film out, and you need to be exposed to light, and then you put it again, and then you need really? to, de- right. to continue developing. It's an interesting like you know that's a you feel like you're part of like um i don't know you're cooking something (laughs) you're doing (laughs) something illegal almost (laughs) but yeah it's yeah i feel like you know
1: regular walter white
2: yeah i was going to say i was trying to remember the name of the show but what is the name of the show
1: Heisenberg. Yeah.
2: The (laughs) name of the show is uh, Breaking Bad. That's it. Breaking Bad. Bad. Oh,
1: my God. You feel
2: like you're a character in Breaking Bad with all them chemicals.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The smells. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The smell. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I know.
1: I I had some old developer when we moved. It was in a crate and I just, uh, I wasn't going to use it, so I took it out back. and. Dumped it, and then the smell just brought back so many memories.
2: Mm,
1: yeah, <laughs> I thought, wow! I forgot what that smells like.
2: No, it's not a very appealing smell. I do have to say, um, so
1: Yeah. So, all right. So, you you process your own film, and then you eventually scan it, I guess. Yeah, right here. we have to with
2: this with this scanner here. Um, what's good?
1: What's what's the scanner?
2: It's the Epson V eight hundred fifty Pro. It's kind of like it's marketed as like a yeah professional scanner and uh, I do kind of like I had to invest in it because I wanted to do obviously I wanted to do prints and once you're doing that and I think you're putting out a product you want obviously to to have your best and so I was I was already like investing in all the developing equipment. And then, you know, now I've, sorry, now I scan it and then maybe in the future I'll invest in a printer. Who knows? I think, um, it depends really on where I want to go. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if I'll keep up the print shop, you know, cause obviously we know that life fluctuates so much that, you
0: know, yeah it sure does one
2: year you can do something, the, ne- the next year you can do, can be somewhere else and doing something else entirely. Yeah. I know that for sure. So, you know i'm just kind of like committed to doing things as they work now and then if i see that it needs an upgrade or it's justifiable then i'll do it so
1: is that is that a f- film scanner i mean it, yeah it's it like just, a, it's a, a film and a scanner? photo
2: scanner as well i've I've, oh. I've scanned a few things here before a few like family photos like old mm-hmm. family photos and stuff like that um but yeah no, it's it is a good scanner in my opinion i know that you know, some people like to use uh, lab scans and stuff. But I think for what I'm doing, for my own personal like work and stuff, I prefer to use this type of workflow, where I have control over like the quality of the scan, you know, what I mean, the the colors, and etc. not that I do actually, I don't do a a lot of adjustments afterwards. Uh, Maybe sometimes if I want to add a little bit contrast or something like that, but generally speaking, it's more like, you know, just removing the dust and like, you know, because that's a pain. Dust is a pain in whatever you do with dust. Yes,
1: yes, it is.
2: That's the only thing I'd just say. It's the downside of it all. It's dust. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God.
1: Yeah, it's everywhere. It is. It's everywhere. The, uh, yeah, I have an old Minolta film scanner. Mm. Actually, it was my son's. Mm. He used to be a photojournalist and, uh, um uh, yeah the dust just you can't get rid of it then you have to edit it out um so you're not printing your own work huh
2: i have a printer i have a printer oh. that i work with and yeah. you know um i do i think it's you know based on what i've seen and obviously based on i wouldn't be you know having something for sure on the shop if i didn't think it was great in my yeah. own accord if i didn't think the quality was there or like you know They're printing what I exactly how I see it, which is why I think it's, it's kind of like a, you know, kind of like a needle in a haystack almost like when you find like, you know, that someone or that Mm -hmm. company or whatever people use, but anyways, that can, you know, bring like still keep on with what you're doing that they, you know, keep on with, uh, you know, the colors, the, you know, the, the qualities of the image that you want it to be there. In my case, I actually like, um, they have this beautiful paper, which is um, unmueled, but they have like this kind Mm -hmm. of like rugged surface and they're very kind to me. Like when I I was trying out and I was just like, literally swimming the waters of like trying to decide what's best for my images and what's not. And, and they were very kind to pointing me because obviously experience is everything, you know what I mean? And when you deal with people that have experience, they're able to point out to you things that would benefit you whilst keeping your vision and your work and the qualities there. I think it's amazing. So yeah, for now, I think I wouldn't swap that.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, we, we have um, a professional printer in town here, and they do yeah, very nice work. Mm-hmm. And uh, use good quality paper, I, I assume you're using like, fine art paper, mm-hmm. or the prints that you sell.
2: Hmm. But yeah, other than yeah. that, I mean, if anyone watching, watch, I mean, listening, um, is looking to do some prints, like even for themselves, I would say, don't like waste your money on doing like fine art prints for yourself. <laughs> if it's such as, if you want to do small prints just for you to relax and see, and you know, like I talked about mm-hmm. this in a recent video where I talked about, like, uh, it was one of my tips to kind of like find your photographic voice. It was to um print your work and kind of like do an organization of your work so if your goal is to like do like just a little organization just a little catch up with yourself i'd say don't spend too much money on on that and just go with like simple uh small prints you know
1: for your that's own that's a good that's a very good point yeah i just i just got a printer like right after the holidays about bought a canon and photo printer and the first thing you do is you have to find the right paper for your printer for what you do yeah. i do a lot of black and white and i ordered all these kit mm-hmm. i mean um sample packs mm-hmm. Hanson and i call it hannah mule how'd you pronounce it
2: <laughs> oh it's probably hannah mule yeah i yeah. just said the but, oh, okay. So you know that's you know, me person, with my anxious. mispronunciation of things.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. You probably say it more. You probably say it the right way. Anyway, and then I bought some Canon basic paper, and I like the Canon paper. It's a whole lot cheaper, mm-hmm. especially when I'm making prints for friends. Yeah, or that's just, what I mean. You know, so,
2: yeah. If you're doing like just print for yourself, or or say like that is not to like I say, of adding commercial value, let's put it this way, you're not selling to yeah. a client, you're not selling to a customer, then you just do like, you know, little prints, like you don't need, I think we have to be very wise, especially with in today's world as to where we spend our money and because we know photography, I mean, can be like a, river with without an end you know what i mean you can just dive into it and start spending your money and you're just going and going and going and
1: you can
2: there's no stopping you
1: <laughs> you can i looked at my credit card bill from bnh and uh and uh, adorama and i looked how much i spent on paper and i thought hmm
0: that's
2: not <laughs> looking I really really need to do this
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I think my problem think- is books, I think photo books, because obviously I, I do it a lot for work, but like, I mean, yeah. Jesus, I just buy so many, like, you know, it's just, But and I've got a few interesting books right on the table here that I'm, I've been ordering and I've been looking into doing stuff for the channel. So it's always good that obviously I have a use for myself, but also, you know, I give it a use on the channel. Otherwise, you know,
1: it's a lot of books you You can do a lot worse things with your money,
2: absolutely no absolutely photo
1: boards. I mean that's a treasure you'll have forever
2: a hundred percent, and I think that's why I said we need to be wise to where we spend our money because I feel like gear is such a like an asset mm-hmm. that devaluates over time. It's very yes, it like, you know like I think. In a w- weird way, the film cameras v- valued, kind of like got some value over like the last five years, I'd say, when the boom of film photography started. But mm-hmm. other than that, it would have been just the same as digital cameras. You'd buy it and it would just like start depreciating as soon oh, as you sure. buy it. So. Uh,
1: I heard a saying, cameras are for Christmas, lenses are for life.
2: <laughs> that's true. That's very true. And actually one, one thing I'm trying to do this year is definitely to get more lenses for the cameras that I already own. Um, I don't want to, I'm not interested in, and I've said this in videos, I'm not interested in getting like different cameras. I'd be probably interested in getting like a large format camera or something that it would be an interesting experiment for me because my photography mm-hmm. is not, it's not a fast paced one. It's more like an observational one. So I think I could definitely see myself Spending time uh, and toying with something like that, um so yeah,
0: who knows?
1: Might as well. Yeah, yeah. You definitely do not spray and pray. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in your videos, I mean, you show a lot of work of other people, uh, a lot of the masters. I mean, how do you, how do you capture that? Are you using your? I don't know what. what what camera do you use for your videos? Are you just using a phone or are you? Do you have oh, a, what do I film a, my videos or, with? Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I film my videos with the Blackmagic. Um, and Blackmagic. Yeah, it's a Blackmagic 6K Pro. I usually oh. put it on the credits of my videos. I put like the equipment yeah. that I use just because like I do get like people asking me, what do you use for that? What do you use for this? And I have to say though, it was uh, giving me like a, it was a pain because sometimes it was very hard to color grade my footage. Um, mm-hmm. And it would be like, sometimes I'd look at the footage and it looked look good. And then I'd look after the video was published. I was like, what happened? And because uh, it did huh. use, like I had to calibrate my whole monitor. I had to, you know, yeah. change the settings on the camera. But yeah, that's what I, the camera that I use. It's a really good camera. Um I think it's all obviously a learning curve with anything. So I'm still adjusting to it. Because before I used to, I uh, use a uh, panasonic uh, lumix mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. used to use a gh5s and then a, an s5 and then i went on to black magic i was never um like i never used the more popular i'd say brands you know what i mean like the Canons or uh, what you would call like sony's and i think that's quite popular now i yeah. was always more like on the verge of because n- not always my budget was like you know able to cover those kind of like cameras so They're i was like expensive. you know using yeah. what i could and then um, and then yeah and then i kind of upgraded to the black magic it's, it's a decent camera
1: well for example the the one you did on the the uh, cardia book so you showed pages from the book i i assume mm-hmm. do you do you video the page or yeah, do you yeah, yeah, yeah. scan it and then
2: no, I videoed the page yeah. Um, like I'm using a, a very good lens. It's a, a Sigma 1835, I think. Mm. Uh, please don't bash me because I'm not a very good, uh, I'm not a gearhead. I wouldn't know, to be honest with you. Good. But I know that at the time I was like um, getting some like tips from people that were filming with like Magic and they recommended me that lens. And now I've obviously got more knowledge of it. I can... tell that it's a great great lens. But yeah, I do, I do, I do shoot my pages and then like, you know, if I'm if I'm, for instance, showing single images, it's because obviously I just went, you know, to Google or whatever and I just uh, right clicked on it or something like that. Um, Which, I mean, obviously if I'm commenting uh, on someone's work or I'm doing something with a clear educational purpose, it falls under the you know, the YouTube law, like of, you know, fair use, which it mm-hmm. is fair use. I'm not, you know, I'm not like criticizing anyone's work. On the contrary, I'm actually giving them a platform as well. So,
0: yeah. You you know. you are. So, yeah. Well, let me ask you this before we go here. First of all, you've done a lot of videos, mm-hmm.
1: a whole lot. What's your favorite? Ooh. <laughs> um, not, not what got the most likes or anything. No, your no, I'd, I'd
2: never yeah. go for something like that. I definitely yeah. think one of my favorites would probably be the self portraits.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I've done one, um, I think I'd say probably three videos um, that I really kind of like came to mind. So if they came to mind, they probably have a, I know, a subconsciously important importance mm-hmm. or in my brain. So um, the first one was definitely self-portraits. I think that took a really a, a great step. I think I was toying with the idea of doing a video like that. But, you know, not only are you exposing yourself, but you're talking about self-portraits. So, you know, it's one of those things that it required kind of like a, a an extra step of, in terms of like putting yourself out there. And I talked about personal yeah. things, talked about like, um, you know, struggles and talked about... Um, how self-portraits have helped me and how it can be a public and also obviously a very private diary. Then I would say um, the a the mo- very recent video actually, uh, Mary Ellen Mark's video um, that I did, which I, I like thought it was one. such a great video, but then YouTube wasn't very happy with it. So they age-restricted my video because th- oh. there were pictures there that they didn't want me to show people. Oh, oh
1: I that's so interesting. I, mm-hmm. I really love. Matter of fact, we published. We did. Uh, um, we published one of her photos uh, in a story, and it was the girls smoking. Yeah, yeah. little girls smoking, and they were in bathing suits, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you had it like they're from like their neck down blurred out YouTube made you do that?
2: Yeah, but still, I tried to comply with the rules, but it was too late. They still said uh, you're still not complying with the rules. And so they age restricted it, which means that basically like, it's not that I'm looking for views, but I think it's kind of a shame because she has such an interesting um, story, like she has such yeah. an interesting background and yeah. by age restricting it, but they basically will stop recommending to people that would potentially be interested in learning about her that could either be big fans of her work or people that simply like any girl out there that dreams of being a photographer that would like to have a role model. So I have to be very careful with like the photos that I show. Um, and I was actually, um, quite recently I did a video on Don McCullin and I couldn't show half his work because it was so graphic and obviously YouTube would have definitely censored that one, but I had to censor some photos in order to have some context to what I was talking about. But yeah, no, definitely going back to the question. So self portraits, Marilyn Mark, um, perhaps Vivian Meyer as well. Um, the video I did on her, I think it was very, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just really, really touched me and her book, she had a book of self portraits, which I think kind of like was the final push I needed to, to post that video, uh-huh. the video of self portraits, because like, I looked at her images and I thought, well, To heck with it! I have been doing it my own, so like you know, I'm just gonna post it, and I did. I think those three videos, um, you know, those two women in particular, very, very great examples of uh, to follow. I think.
1: Yeah, good choice. I also like the one on the, you titled the Russian Vivian Meyer.
2: Oh yeah, um, oh yeah, Masha, yeah yeah she's such an interesting story and uh you know after that um I actually had a very brief conversation with her daughter um mm.
0: and
2: who was thanking me for making the video and you know because for me it was so important to cast a light on someone like Masha like who you know lived her life wanting to be a photographer unfortunately had like a really and she she was a very she was a street photographer obviously, but she was a very like uh Accomplished photographer. I feel like if she had done, I think she would have been like a very versatile photographer had she had been given the chance to mm-hmm. photograph more things. Um, but even in her pictures, you can tell that she she kind of reminded me of Ellen I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce her name right, but Helen Love it, Live it. I'm not sure.
1: Love it. Hell, yeah.
2: Yeah. The New, the Love the it. photographer yeah. who photographed New York in the 40s. And she photographed yeah. a lot of children and um and uh, she had this kind of like candidness about her photos and she reminded me of that of, of her it's a mix between Vivian Meyer and her. But because so many articles have used that this example of Vivian Meyer because of their similar backgrounds, their similar mm-hmm. like being unknown and then discovered kind of like um it was such an interesting video. Yeah. Such an interesting video. Yeah.
1: Uh, I hope uh, speaking to our listeners, I hope you all uh, get a sense of the kind of work that Tatiana does, and and take a look at it because it's it's just so rich, you know. It's I I'll do it. I'll I'll put it on like in the evening, and maybe my wife goes to bed or something. I say, okay, I want to learn something new, and uh, I always go to your YouTube. Thank you. And choose something it's uh, great stuff so anyway um before we go tell everybody where they can find you mm-hmm. either on youtube or your website or you know whatever the best way is to find you in this yeah crowded so internet um, space
2: you can find me on youtube uh, my channel's name or handle is t hopper um and then You can also find me on Instagram. I think my handle would be TFF Hopper. And then, you know, I'm just like a bit all around, really. Um, (laughs) I have a website, which I think if you want to, if for the viewers that are interested, if you want to have more like a view of my photography work, and I also do some writing and stuff, that'd be cool. Um, You can, you know, I'm sure Bob will add to the notes of the show and. And Definitely. You can find the, uh, my website and I think that would give you probably an overview of everything that I do. Hopefully. <laughs> then, yeah, that's it. Thank you, Bob. Well,
1: well thank you. It was, it was a real pleasure. I'm glad we were able to meet sort of in person.
2: For sure. Yeah. We're e-meeting.
1: E-meeting. Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So, please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track, and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios, found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine.